Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. Today on the Ether, Shade Protocol Redemption Tools. Let's take a listen. Welcome everybody who's who's coming in. We've got we've got a few speakers today. We're focusing on redemption pools. We'll give it a couple more minutes and let let people continue to trickle in. But thanks everyone who's jumping on. We appreciate you being here. We got our last week before before Bonds is out next Monday. So yep. our team has been busy. But nice to get a little bit of break from Bonds stuff and jump in here and have some community time. Yeah, Bonds on September 12th, for anyone that hasn't heard about it. Um, one of the first Bond opportunities will be to deposit the Shade Stake Secret LP token uh, and in return receive uh, discounted discounted Shade. So very excited to get things kicked off on bonds um it's the first bonds product in the cosmos which is wild to think about i think that's officially been confirmed olympus dow was actually going to come to the cosmos on terra but then the usp collapse happened and so this is actually the first bonds product in the cosmos um i think people are going to see the ui ux and be very impressed bonds is an incredibly complicated front-end experience and Staking derivatives is now going to live side by side with bonds, which will live side by side with the portfolio page, um, which will all, of course, be living side by side with Silk and ShadeSwap in the not too distant future. So um, Shade Protocol has been, you know, just chipping away in the background and we finally get to get this stuff out to the, the community and excited to get get feedback on all of it. And yeah, we actually have uh, Secret Austin tuning in today. He's the he's been the absolute juggernaut on the front end, uh, pushing to get bonds to the finish line. So huge props to props to him. Can't give him enough um, praise for the insane amount of hours he's been putting in in the last two weeks. So yeah, I don't think people are ready for this. This is going to be such a crazy overhaul for our for our products and launching the shade shade uh, apps and super exciting bonds is. Very, very impressive, and honestly, kind of, kind of a, kind of a cool spot to be in with first bonds in the cosmos. So we're honored to be taking up that that position. But really excited for launch here. Well, we're sitting at around twenty five people in the in the audience here. I'm sure more will trickle in as we as we go here. But today, again, as a reminder for everyone, we're focusing on redemption pools. We'll hand it off to Carter right at the beginning of the conversation to kind of scope the problem out here. And then mostly it'll be a conversation between Carter and Ranger. If anyone has any questions, feel free to raise a hand or request to speak. Towards the end, I'll bring some people up and ask a few questions. And we're also open to input from the community as the conversation is taking place here. But without further ado, Carter, I'm going to pass it off to you. If you could kind of give us some scope on the question around shade protocol redemption pools. Absolutely. So we'll we'll start with what what is a redemption pool. Um, traditionally, with stable coins that are pegged to the dollar, like with Dai or with Frax, there's essentially an opportunity for a user to come in and deposit uh, a dollar worth of a dollar peg stable coin into a smart contract and receive a corresponding amount of DAI or FRAX. And at the, at the surface level, this, this makes sense because DAI is targeting the same peg that the uh, collateral that's being deposited into the smart contract is also targeting. And so because they're both targeting the same peg, it essentially there's not really a, a gap in, in value between the two. Both assets are attempting to track the same thing. And so when we started to talk about uh, silk redemption pools, 
there was there was kind of this initial gap uh, in in understanding where the idea was, hey, you know, stable coins like USDC, like Tether, like Dai, like Frax, these all you know have a stable amount of value. So what we should do is accept these these stable coins into a smart contract and then mint out a corresponding amount of silk. And it it felt like a pretty fair assumption, but we started to dig into things and like there's there's a very, there's a very big fundamental gap. And that gap is that silk is tracking a different peg than the asset that's being deposited into the redemption pool. And so I'll I'll give a super simplified example of of what can go wrong, all right? Let's say Silk's peg initially is targeting $1. User comes in, they deposit one USDC worth $1 into the redemption pool. On the asset side of things, you have a dollar worth of value. And on the liability side, you have a dollar worth of value in the form of the Silk that was minted out. But this is where things get extremely complicated um, because Silk's not pegged to the dollar. If Silk's peg appreciates to a dollar and five cents, you suddenly have a dollar and five cents worth of liabilities outstanding in the form of silk, and you only have one dollar worth of assets sitting in the redemption pool that was initially deposited because the USDC is not tracking the same peg that silk is tracking. And so in essence, there's, there's bad debt that can get introduced into the system because of this fundamental gap. Now, there's 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 definitely some some solutions to this. Um, the first solution is is an understanding that redemption pools essentially need to accept collateral other than just the U.S. dollar, right? Silk consists of all these different currencies, and so the optimal end state is let's say silk consists of gold, Bitcoin, Euro, and the dollar. Uh, in essence, what we should do is you would have redemption pools that accept gold, Bitcoin, USD, and the euro, uh, such that when people uh, burn silk in, uh, with respect to these redemption pools, and when they redeem for underlying value, they actually would receive a little bit of USD, a little bit of euro, a little bit of gold, and a little bit of Bitcoin um, at a rate that is proportionally identical to silk's uh, underlying basket composition. And I'm going to pause there because conceptually, this is already this is this is like a radically new concept. Everyone today has been pegging to one single sovereign currency, and then when they accept collateral into redemption pools, they're just accepting collateral that's identical to the peg that they're targeting. Silk, because it's really this this fourth generation stablecoin um, with this type of uh, index and this kind of diversified peg composition our life is a lot more difficult because in order to expand the supply in a non-leveraged over collateralized way with redemption pools, we need to have a system where we're accepting in collateral other than just USDC. And we need to do it in a way that dynamically kind of incentivizes um, the, the compositions to match each other. So that's, that's kind of step one. It's an acknowledgement, got to go beyond just the US dollar for redemption collateral. But a second really distinct problem has emerged and it's and it goes like this not all of the assets that are being tracked by the silk oracle um, are actually assets that are currently available in the cosmos so what what do i mean by that in essence you know you have uh G jpy the euro british pound canadian dollar usd uh you have like all these different currencies that Silk is, is tracking from band protocols data feed and it's computing across all of them with weights attached to them and it spits out a, hey, like target price point is like a dollar and three cents, okay? The problem is right now, the only assets in the cosmos we really have access to that are also part of Silk's composition is pretty much the US dollar, Bitcoin, gold, and e-money slash the euro. And that means redemption pools are not going to be able to perfectly track um, Silk's composition. So now you essentially have two different baskets that are loosely tracking each other and the gap in between represents a lot of risk. And that's why I wanted to pull on, on Ranger here today uh, because there's, there's a couple of potential solutions. One solution is you simplify Silk's basket. You, you reduce it down from instead of tracking 20 things, you, you target four or five different assets. 
um, any their assets that we actually have access to, such that these redemption pools can actually perfectly match the composition of Silk. The and then over time, you slowly add in assets to Silk's peg as we gain direct access to those actual underlying assets. That's kind of option number one. Option number two is using kind of a system similar to Frax. Um, you have essentially a fee system and you kind of tap into shade to account for the gap in the redemption pool collateral compared to Silk's composition collateral. And that's like a, a definitive, it's a definitive risk. It's known as negative equity. Um, Frax today has pulled it off beautifully. USD had way too much negative equity that existed within the system, so it all collapsed. So I'll pause here. Ranger, I know you have a bunch of thoughts on this. I'll leave the floor to you. It's it, it's an incredibly complicated topic. I've been wrestling this for for, for like two or three weeks. Um, be, and it's and it's like, if we can pull this off, if we can figure out redemption pools, it's actually a massive advantage for Silk because Silk's treasury and these redemption pools aren't just the US dollar. There could be 20 plus different assets that are all backing Silk and what the reserves do with those underlying assets uh, actually introduces way more flexibility into the treasury management system. So it's, it's kind of mind blowing um, if we can pull it off, but there's, there's, there's just a lot of complexity. So I'll pause here, Ranger, feel free to take the floor and add any clarity to the conversation. Cause like I said, it's, it's tough to explain. I, I would just also add like the purpose of the redemption pool is so that way you could deposit $1 of one asset and get $1 of silk. And so like, um, as Carter mentioned, or even like this, um, new proposal on secret, like a lot of these protocols are saying deposit a dollar with us and we'll wrap it and give you a new version of that same dollar. And we're essentially saying deposit this dollar with us. And now you're taking on actually like a risk position that floats against that dollar uh, in value based off the composition of the peg. And uh, the principle that like I you know, am interested in is asset liability matching, which is what Carter said is like, where you have a perfect relationship between the assets that you hold and the risks that you hold. So in this case, like the value of um, silk in the redemption pool is equally weighted to the value of silk in its peg. And the redemption pool's purpose is basically so that way you hold a lot of silk and you're like, you know what, I'm trying to exit this position. And rather than have a you know, death spiral, there's real value to tap into. So you can almost think of it as like, you know, gold backed dollars, like we're kind of in a different monetary uh, era. And uh, yeah, I mean, Carter mentioned uh, simplifying the silk basket. Um, so there is like, there's like when you're like asset liability matching, right? It's like, you say the basket's 50% dollars, so you hold 50% dollars in the, in the redemption pool. Then you could have like some things like maybe the Singapore dollar. We can't access that, but you could find things that are correlated to it in a way that they move together. Like if you hold francs, if you like Swiss francs and Singapore dollars, like these small like financial service oriented countries, like perhaps they track the dollar more closely than another one. So we might be like, oh, there's like a 90 something percent correlation there. So the dollar could represent that in the redemption pool. But like every time that you add another, you know, not perfectly correlated asset or even like past correlation doesn't mean it's gonna be future correlated, like you add risk. So the questions really become like, how much risk do we want? How much does simplifying the silk basket affect the stability and value of silk? And and to me, there's also like this larger question of like, what is the purpose of silk and what should it be tracking? And so all those things come together kind of in this problem. Yeah, I think you I think you framed that that super well. And I, I think that's like the an, an interesting question in its own right. Um the more assets that Silk tracks, hypothetically, assuming that it's it's composed properly, 
the stronger volatility resistance it should offer on average across like all global assets. The idea would be, you know, if you're if you're holding dollars, you're technically you're technically investing, right? Which pe- people don't really think about that when they hold a currency, but everything's trading against something else. And so the promise of silk is on average, if you hold silk over the course of a decade, you're going to experience less volatility than if you parked all of your value in just the US dollar, if you parked it just in francs or just in gold and just in Bitcoin. Just like, just like with the S&P 500, um, if you, you know, hold the S&P 500, you're holding a representation of hundreds of different US companies. And so you're less likely to experience downside or it's like, you're, it's less magnified downside and less magnified upside than if you chose just a specific a specific stock. And so we're, I I think the the dream that that that's that's the promise of silk, that you're you're not asking for magnified upside or magnified magnified downside with like whatever currency you're holding. You're holding this extreme aggregate uh, that's kind of this closed representation of value as it migrates and moves around the, the global economy. Yeah. And one thing I've been, you know, thinking is when you think of silk, it's like in in like the recent history, the dollar has outperformed the euro where like the euro used to be like a dollar twenty to get a euro. And now it's one dollar to one dollar. So, yeah, if you're a U.S. user of silk you would in essence have made less money than if you just held your dollar. But um, if you're a Euro user of Silk, then you actually made money because you were diversified. So I like to think that Silk is like this ETF of, um, I would prefer like developed market nations, like with strong economies, because, you know, if Silk wants to be a global store of value, like what's the best store of value is like, hey, I put $10 into Silk um, and now I have 10 global developed market dollars that I can take to any country and know that it's relatively um, valuable in any of them. And so in that sense, you know, it's kind of like D, like, you know, the whole purpose of Silk is like basically to get off one government monetary system uh so yeah to me that's valuable it's like you could take this dollar to anywhere where most people would like to live or shop or uh you know go travel and it will retain value over time because you're not putting all your eggs in one basket monetarily so i that's like the the value of silk to me um and then like the implementation of the redemption pools uh, I think that the dollar, the euro, and Bitcoin and gold are really good starts. I think like the one area where I feel like we really should have a different asset would be like China or something more Asia related, which is kind of like a different power center in the world. So we'll move differently than our currencies or like geopolitical risks might force them to diverge in different ways. So, um, yeah. And it, it's an interesting problem too, because if, if we simplify the basket, we're, we're essentially, there's a trade-off. We're reducing the FX risk by having direct access to those um, assets that essentially will map to Silk's basket properly in redemption pools, right? So we reduce FX risk, which... FX risk in this situation is the gap between the redemption pools and what Silk Tag is actually tracking, right? So like we simplify the basket, less less risk there. But then the downside is, is that Silk is then less diversified. So it has less volatility resistance. And I, and I guess the, the simplest way to think about this is it'd be like instead of having an S&P 500, it's just going to be like the top 10 companies in, in the United States as opposed to like 500, right? Um, it's like it's still strong, but it's not as diversified as it could be. But then we're reducing that asset to liability matching gap. Um, another potential solution is you just have redemption pools be a really small part of the overall collateralization of silk. So you say something on the lines of, hey, 
90% of the system is going to be covered by shade lend. The other 10% is covered by redemption pools such that even if there starts to be a gap that emerges between the redemption pools and the silk target peg, there's enough over collateralization through lend. And there was such a scoped small amount of silk that was minted out through redemption pools that overall the system is still over collateralized and can handle any sort of FX gap. Um, that starts to be, that feels um, attribute wise, a more riskier route. It's, it's a much more scrappy solution that says, hey, we know it's a problem, but we're not going to let it become too big of a problem. Where have we heard that before, right? So that, that feels like a slippery slope, um, but it would be more of the, the growth hack solution. And I, I, I definitely am more hesitant to go that route, but I, I think like we should, we should still be considering all the trade-offs and all the solutions, you know? So essentially we're sitting at a point where our options are simplifying Silk's peg, which allows it to track redemption pools more closely. Having a diversified Silk peg, which increases the issues with it tracking redemption pools, but also lowers Silk volatility, similar to the S&P 500, where you're bringing up the diversity of the peg, which allows it to have less volatility. Or the last option then is decreasing the amount of collateralization that redemption pools cover for Silk and increasing the amount that some of our other products do. All of them are decent options with their own risks, their own positives and negatives. Is there a direction that the Shade team is leaning as we're thinking about all of these? I think um, the biggest thing is redemption pools probably won't be there at launch. I think that there's a lot of thought that needs to go into redemption pools other than the initial, hey, like you can deposit dollar stable coins and mint out silk right away through a traditional model. Um, I, guess I, I guess what I really should rephrase and say is if redemption pools exist at launch of silk, they're going to be extremely small. We're talking like only $500,000 worth as opposed to, you know, this tens of millions worth of redemption pool. Like there's, there's, there's too much risk that needs to be comprehended and thought through. Um, and we're not going to slow down the launch of shade lend um, as well as shade swap in the name of making sure that a more capital efficient version of introducing silk into circulation is available in the form of redemption pools. Cause yeah, the over collateralized model works perfectly fine. Right. So we're shipping that as soon as possible, no matter what, Redemption pools are, are really a more capital efficient way of growing the supply of silk in relation to demand for silk. Um, but we don't need to rush that, right? And so I think my biggest takeaway, and you know, Ranger, everyone has their opinion on this, but is we just, we need to kind of sit on our hands and, and take, take our time with, with the redemption pools and understanding the different risks and the different routes. So, yeah, I would definitely like to see them implemented, but like, you know, taking a shortcut to rush it out the door doesn't seem like the right solution because, you know, it's better to put in the work up front and then reap the rewards later and know that it's more resilient. Um, so that's that's where I would stand. But I definitely see the value in not needing to, you know, take a collateralized, uh, over collateralized position to get silk so i'm definitely a fan of the pools it's just a matter of determining how much risk we want in the system and then where that where like any excess risk might come from um yeah the fascinating part too is like we can launch with the very diversified version of silk um and then technically you can remove assets from silk's peg um, and that's all done with a reweightage system such that there is no price jerk up or down during the update. It's just the weights get reinitialized. Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's a brilliant feature. I think people are going to be like mind blown once they realize how much flexibility there is. Um, so I think like it's, it's interesting to think that we're not actually tied to like, ooh, we have to figure out if silk is only going to launch as a certain as a certain super small index like technically the index can be shrunk the index can be grown um i suppose the one trade-off of like modifying the peg that aggressively 
is it could be a signal to institutional players of like, wait a second, there's this historical precedent that Silk's peg composition changes can is capable of changing rapidly or drastically. And like that's kind of an interesting conversation in its own right. And Ranger, I know you've you've specifically said Silk is not a hedge fund and like it's an index and should be should be treated as an index. I 100% agree with that. Um, it is an interesting conversation though within the context of are we allowed to change Silk's peg in order to match the available assets in the cosmos so as to have a better collateralization and mapping of redemption pools on the Silk's peg? Is that different from changing the peg composition in the name of hey, something happened on the global stage. Now we're going to change one of the weightages to reflect that. They feel like two very different things to me, but the narrative about both of them could end up being the same for better or for worse. Yeah. I think with the Silk not being the hedge fund thing, I, I think that there's some some divergence in like, oh, the goal of Silk is to outperform the dollar and therefore you know, if we think that the euro is going to do better, then we'll up the weight and then we'll lower it at other points. And to me, it's like, we're not, we're not an asset management shop, right? Like we're like, I think we should come up with good rationale for like why we set the initial basket. And then that can kind of just be that. And then if people have like really strong opinions on an FX move, then they can always take out their silk and put it into euros or put it strictly into US dollars. And then silk kind of has its own function in the market, right? This generalized, like I don't have a strong view on either on either coin or or any currency in general. So I'm just gonna take this diversified position. And I think that there's a lot of value in not touching things, you know, because uh yeah, if you like it, like yeah. That's that's basically my perspective. It's like there's a reason why um, passive investment is like the largest sector of financial services. Um, no, I mean, I, I really I, I really like that framing that I mean, and I think we said this since the beginning that Silk is essentially its goal is to be an interoperability hub between major sources of stable value. Right. Like that. That's kind of its end game. And it doesn't take a it's it's not intended to be uh, an evolving thing that's attempting to beat a specific currency, right? It's in it's intended to be a uh, kind of neutral hedge that sits in the center of everything. Um, and so I think that's like it is interesting evolving away from the 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 USD mindset because like exactly like you said, recently the euro depreciated in value from like a dollar twenty cents to a dollar. A U.S. citizen holding silk would have been like, "Oh wow, I just you know silk just lost a a penny worth of value." But for the person who's thinking about silk in terms of the euro, if they were holding silk instead, silk probably went up you know x amount of of euros worth of value, and they would be super happy that they were sitting in silk during the the euro downturn versus just sitting purely in euros. So it's it's like we have to be able to move beyond just a, a u.s dollar mindset um and that that's going to be so it's so trippy because it's it, it this uh this thing is mapping onto the entire world and where you are in the world and what currencies you trust um what you consider your store of value for commerce is going to impact how you view silk and, and ranger i think you said something that really resonated me with early, with me earlier um, not on this, but I think just over messages, something on the lines of like, people are never going to be happy. Um, like with, with silk in the sense that like, if you're a dollar maxi and like, all you care about is, is dollars that it's going to be, it's going to be a weird paradigm. But once people get the purpose of it as kind of the interoperability hub and this neutral decade long hedge, then you start to understand the brilliance of it. But that's going to be a very large educational uphill battle. Yeah. And the, and the purpose of Silk, I think, in the long run, in my mind, the ideal, um, the ideal like future state of Silk would be where it's not just sovereign currencies and Bitcoin and gold. It starts to become like, 
okay, one and one percent of the basket is the global top twenty real estate markets, and you know, two percent of the basket is like a you know precious uh, metals or some sort of food like meat and pork and all that type of stuff. So then, like the value of silk is starting to track the things that like you really care about in value, but to like we were talking about redemption pools, like where would the risk of that reside currently? Like until good solutions for trading those products come on chain, then we're kind of limited to this. So I don't want people to think like, oh, Silk's, <laughs> Silk has no future plan. Like for me, the future plan of Silk really does tie back to like, like I was mentioning earlier, like you wanna go on vacation, you're like, I would love to go to any of these countries and Silk will check the value of them all for you. But at the same time, like in a future state, like it could also be like, I would love to own property in any of these countries, or I need to eat in any of these countries and the commodities and the things that you care about from like a day-to-day -day living perspective are also priced into this product. Yep. That's, that's, a, a, that's a breathtaking, breathtaking vision. So, um, Always, it always, it always puts a smile on my face just to think about how how big of a vision a vision this is. Um, I'll pause here for Dalton. Do you have any thoughts or, or questions? I know you've been listening in, so just curious what what you think about this discussion. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I have any pertinent thoughts. Um, like you said in the beginning of the of the Twitter space, I did just get back from a almost two and a half week vacation, so I've been playing catch up. Um, not that not that any of these ideas are foreign um, or not understandable, but I think as of right now, I don't have too much to add in regards to productive comments, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Fair enough. Well, maybe then we can open this up to questions. And thanks, Fisco, by the way, for for framing the three kind of potential potential solutions. I think that was a really good really good summary. But. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that'll be the day when silk is pegged to global pork markets, along with along with all the all the currencies. But honest, honestly, it really does frame Ranger the what you're saying. Um, the potential of silk to be pegged to all sorts of global markets instead of just exclusively even currencies. So I think it really does frame the vision of silk as this extremely next generation futuristic currency that operates really outside of the frameworks that any of us are used to thinking about currencies being within. So there's, there's also a lot of restructuring of the way that we view silk that has to take place. Um, I'm going to pass it off to everybody in the community here too. While we, while we wait, Ranger. Or yeah. I, w I, I just have to, I will add something while we're bringing someone up, but like you're as like a investment manager, like you're not judged on your absolute performance you're judged on your performance relative to a benchmark so if you invest in s p 500 and it drops eight percent and your portfolio drops six percent well you actually had two percent of alpha basically even though you went down in value because people gave you money with the express purpose of investing in that asset class on their behalf so I think like one really big question that we have to answer from Silk is like, what is our benchmark and trying to come up with that? Like you can have a benchmark um, that is just a straight absolute, absolute basis. Like every year we want to have 2% of uh, value increase, right? And then in a market like this, where inflation goes up nine or 10%, like you lost money, but you know, uh, it, like you could basically like, yeah. So it's just, for me, the, for me, that's a big question that we still have to answer is like, what, what are, what are we going to call the benchmark for silk? And I think in the past is why I was talking about like the, the perspective you take from like Euro versus dollar. It's like, I think in the past, a lot of people were thinking about it from like a dollar perspective. And I think we need to like really sit down and consider like, what is the narrative and what are we trying to say we're performing to? So yeah absolutely um and just a, re a reminder to everyone that's in here if you've got questions uh feel free to raise a hand or request to speak we'd love to bring up some people here at the end to answer some questions around redemption pools silk basket peg but ranger off of what you were saying it really is um the benchmarking question 
is again that kind of reorientation of what we're viewing as success with silk um and silk probably operates in different benchmarks than maybe a traditional market um fun- functionality would be in like a hedge fund has different uh benchmarks than the S&P 500 and silk is going to have different benchmarks than other cryptocurrencies other stable coins and other um different different global measurements of of value in markets so the silk the silk concept is really super new um and all of those questions are things that have to be answered around around silk we'll give it a couple minutes here to see if anyone has questions again you can raise your hand or request to speak um carter delts ranger do you you have anything else i I was going to add that I, I think the benchmark would probably be initially an FX benchmark. Um, like, I, I think that it, it's interesting because, like, when we back tested Silk initially, it did outperform outperform the dollar. But that's like circumstantial because if you add in 2022, 2023, the answer maybe looks very different. So it's, and then that's, that's, that, that's the funny, but like, that's the thing is, the benchmark is not the dollar, but circumstantially still can outperform the dollar because it, it's possible, totally possible, but that's not the explicit purpose of it. So it's just like, you have to be very careful with education of, of people that people don't think Silk's explicit purpose is to outperform the dollar. It's like Silk can circumstantially outperform oh, the dollar. I didn't even know you guys uh, brought me up. Could you hear me? Yep. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, red eye. You're you're good. Sorry about that. Um, so I came into the to the space a few minutes late. Uh, so if I missed the answer to this question, um, then you know that's on me. But my core question when listening to all of this is like, what is the real purpose of uh, these redemption pools? And uh, sorry, what what is the real purpose of the uh, of the basket that Silk is pegged to, and why why do you guys think that you need to be able to redeem the exact composition of the basket? I'm not saying that's like what it what it'll be out of the start, but like uh, where like where are these thoughts coming from? Like what is driving you to want you to give users the ability to redeem the exact basket composition of Silk? Yeah, so it actually it actually starts with um, this kind of goes back to the trilemma that was posted about on the forum. Redemption pools are essentially the most capital efficient way to expand the supply of silk because it doesn't require the user to be in a leveraged position uh, to expand the supply. So if you want to mint out a dollar worth of silk, you can deposit a dollar worth of one of silk's basket assets and mint out silk, right? And that's a very powerful mechanism for for growing the supply and it's a lot more elastic but the problem with kind of that elasticity right now is if what people are depositing asset wise doesn't actually map onto what silk is tracking then there can become an asset to liability gap between the assets existing in the redemption pools and the silk that was minted out as a result of those redemption pools so i guess like in in two sentences Redemption pools are more capital efficient and the ability for people to withdraw back to those underlying assets um, is a very powerful. um, It's it's a very it's very it's a very powerful mechanism because users know, hey, even if a DEX liquidity goes to zero and all the liquidity in the market's gone, there's still these redemption pools that I can go to to redeem silk for. That's that's kind of the, the one of the more powerful mechanisms. It's basically the protection against a death spiral because, like, you know, with UST, for instance, once the liquidity pool is gone, then there's nothing else to get. And here we're just saying, like, if you want to exit, like, as a currency, you kind of have to give people that option. Like, hey, if you want to exit, like, there's value for you to take back out of the system. So that's basically the the goal of the redemption pool, as well as, like Carter said, like, it's more capital efficient to deposit a dollar of something and get back a dollar of something else than to put a dollar and 50 down to get a dollar of it back. Yeah, Red Eye, thanks for the question. I've got big man requesting to 
come up to speak. So I'm going to bring him up for the next question here. And then I've also got a question in the chat. And then Wendy J will move on to for the for the last question there. Big man, you're good to speak. Guys, um, yeah, good to be on. That's the first, uh, first live Twitter space that I've been with you guys. So appreciate it. Uh, Carter, thanks for hopping in the, uh, the Twitter there and let me know the pools are alive. So I appreciate that. I'm definitely grabbing some more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty new to the, uh, to the protocol I've kind of like been around you guys for a little while, but really starting to dig deep into, uh, into the protocol. And I guess my, my questions aren't necessarily concerning more of the, um, you know, the collateralization and the, uh, you know, um, the different things, uh, financially speaking, but more concerning like the ethics as well as like censorship resistance. Um, I haven't really heard a whole lot discussed on um, the problems that will inevitably arise when, you know, bad actors start using uh, Silk and Shade um, as a payment platform or service to you know, enable uh, things that uh, really aren't, aren't uh, I don't think anyone would agree with, you know, uh, if, you know, CP and all that sort of stuff, but because um, I'm seeing this sort of stuff happen with Visa and MasterCard, so I can only imagine it's probably going to be inevitable that we have these problems come up uh, with a privacy uh, a payment system. So I'm wondering, you know, is there a standard that the community is saying, like, hey, look, like we're all about privacy, but if we have legal issues, uh, these certain things are things that we are coming together as a community to say, absolutely not, we won't support that, or uh, on the other hand, if that's not the case, um, what are the different layers of censorship resistance that are built into the platform to be decentralized and, um, you know, uh, yeah, not able to be taken out by, like, for example, the federal government? Yeah, so phenomenal question. We could have an entire Twitter space devoted to, to that topic, to be honest. It's, it's such, a, it's such a, a richly nuanced question. So I'll, t I'll take my best crack at it under the premise that we really could have an extended conversation about it. Um, so there's really, well, there's, there's three pieces. Okay, we'll, we'll start um, with, with the facts about Silk in terms of how transparent it is and the auditability of it. Uh, the first piece is that once Silk goes interchain, there will be a totally transparent version of Silk, right? Um, that's anytime it goes on a public blockchain, whether it be Ethereum, or Juno or any sort of Cosmos chain, that's a totally transparent stable coin. Okay, so that, that's fact number one. Fact number two, Seeger Network has uh, the viewing key architecture that gives users the sovereignty to decrypt their own transactions and they can hand over that viewing key to an auditor. Conceivably, someone could build a KYC AML platform on top of Seeger Network's tech that is, that is compliant with, um, with regulations where you know, worst case scenario, and I don't necessarily like this scenario, but regulators are like, we're only allowing people to use the privacy preserving, privacy preserving version of Silk that has been, you know, green flagged by the KYC AML platform that's built on top of that network, right? So that's, that's like a solution too. It's like that someone can go and build that platform and it'll be up to whoever builds that to get regulators to look at that and be like, okay, cool. Like that's, we're, we're cool with that because we're, we're aware of all, all the users that are, that are using it. Obviously, there's, some, there's still some limitations there because it's, it's, a, it's a permissionless network. If you want to move from A to B, um, no one can really stop you from doing that. But I suppose if you use the, like, you could build a smart contract KYC email platform that actually could control the account itself. Um, so yeah, fact one, Silk has the path to total transparency. Fact two, someone can build a platform that gives those controls and it's up to regulators and legislation to then interact with those types of platforms. And then I guess the, the third fact is more of a zoom out. And I view this more as just like a privacy dilemma in general. And it goes something it's, it's like every currency one day is a half step away from interacting with the privacy tool. And if you, if you um, even like constitutionally, you look at, Fourth, fourth Amendment in terms of search and seizure, um, like there's some really strange lines in there. Like what if the U.S. government was said, hey, all cars need to be completely see-through and transparent, right? Um, like there would, there, would be, there would be some issues with that, right? Um, there's these like very strange privacy edge cases where like universally it's kind of agreed that uh, there's protections for privacy. 
Um, and so I, I think like the legislative battle will, will be coming and, and privacy is a, it's a, it's a powerful technology. It's a powerful tool and protection. And whenever you make powerful technology that protects people's rights, that gives them certain attributes, of course, there's the, the actors that can use it in a negative way. So I think our best bet is to um, have the, the various solutions available, but ultimately Silk will only be powerful if it has those attributes embedded into it, period, end of story. We can't violate those properties, but we can give paths for um, solutions to people that aren't, aren't as okay with how powerful those attributes are. And that's things like total transparency and custodian platforms that anyone can build. So that's kind of my high level view of it. Awesome. Big man, thanks for the question. Carter, great response. It's a it's a complicated issue, but it's it's something that we're prepared to address and still believing that both compliance is important and privacy is still a, a right to to digital um, ownership. People have people have that right and it's a necessary thing for DeFi. So Wendy J, if you still had a question, you can request to speak again. If not, um, we've got two questions in the chat that we can move on to. The first question is from Kantaro, which is how much will the over collateralization ratio be and how do we get extra collateral? Yeah, so I think I think uh, SBM is best positioned to talk about the over collateralization ratio, but it all it all depends on the type of the type of asset. Uh, being used in shade blend. So a super, super volatile asset that still has enough liquidity to qualify as an asset that we're willing to put up as collateral to mint out silk against might have a 160% minimum loan to value ratio versus a stable asset like uh, like USDC or e-money. Maybe there only needs to be 110% over collateralization um, if you're minting out silk against it through shade blend. So it's very much dependent on... Um, how, how safe of a system you want to be. Uh, the, the safer the system is, the less valuable the leverage is, right? Like you're giving your, as a service, you're giving users less flexibility, the more collateral, collateral you're requiring before they can mint out, mint out silk. Um, there's still a higher level question though of like, uh, you know, if you have 10 vaults for 10 different assets, how much silk is allowed to be minted out against each one of those different vaults? And based off of how you define that, you're kind of describing the underlying composition of decentralized assets that Silk is being minted out against. So um, I don't know if S-Beam's in here. He's, he's, he's the best person to have a conversation with about that side of things. I'm not seeing him in here. S-Beam, if you're here and I'm not seeing you, you can feel free to request to speak. Um, if not, we can move on. Wendy, if you have a question, you're good to speak now. Okay, okay. So I think I came across um, this And I saw that, um, I read somewhere that um, CFC algorithmic um, stablecoin. And also learned that USD is just an algorithmic stablecoin. Like, what happened if everyone knows what happened with USD and the unfortunate situation that that was human and all that? So, is, how, can you explain how this is going to be different? In, in terms of the segment with um, US, the different. As yeah, Wendy, that's a that's a great question. So okay. there's, oh, go for it, Wendy. Sorry. Okay. Um, the second question is, is I need um an explanation of the, the born and raised mechanism. Uh, I missed the second question there. I got the first question though. I think it was um, an explanation of bonds. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. So I'll take the I'll take the first question, Ranger. If you want to maybe take what shade bonds are, but I'll, I'll I'll start with the first question. So, what is the difference between silk and UST, and what are the, the protections that are provided? So first off, we'll talk about um, the easiest thing is collateral. UST was backed by only a single asset, and that asset was Luna, the token. And so think about how much risk existed when the the asset that was backing um, UST was one single volatile token uh, versus Silk, there's a whole set of diversified 
assets that are backing out, uh, backing, backing silk. The second piece is over collateralization. The way, the way uh, Terra did it is you could burn $1 worth of Luna to mint out one UST, right? And once again, you're, you're burning a volatile asset to mint out a stable one versus with Shade Protocol, Silk expands supply by locking up an over collateralized amount of value. So for every, you know, one Silk in circulation, you got, let's say, a dollar and 50 cents worth of value locked up. And if the value of Silk drops or the value of the assets backing the system drops, uh, there's essentially the smart contracts liquidate the collateral, pull the Silk out of circulation, and burn it. So to, tr- to really, really simplify it, biggest difference is there's a diversified set of assets and the whole system is over collateralized. Um, and there's overall less less volatility in the system. And there's there's a lot more nuance than that, but hopefully, hopefully that's a, a good high level summary. And I'll leave it to Ranger here to answer the question of of what are shade bonds, why they're cool, why they're important. Uh, bonds are bonds are they are different than typical financial uh, bonds, but the phrase within Web three was popularized by Olympus Dow. And it's in essence a way for a protocol to own liquidity. So a key differentiation between like us and Olympus DAO was like the Olympus DAO model was, hey, deposit our coin and some other coin and we'll give you back more of our coin. And they were paying out basically like excess value in APR to stakers. And that created this like Ponzi-nomic kind of model uh the model that we're going for is taking that bootstrapping idea of like give us something of value and we'll give you back uh our token but now the protocol and shade holders own that token indefinitely um so there's some things built into it like we only want to buy um secret when it's below five dollars and at the same time we only want to sell silk when it's above fifteen dollars so you could um basically control the assets that the protocol is purchasing uh because it's because we're kind of like the silk question it's like everything depends on um everything depends on like what you're viewing it uh in but it's basically like two interacting limit orders where whenever these conditions meet um it's valuable for someone to say yeah i'll give you a a 950 dollars of this token and get a thousand dollars back of yours they're basically just selling it to us at a premium to the market and then the dow shade will have the ability to use those assets to create more money um or solidify a strategic position like um imagine in the future there is shade swap and like 50 percent of all value in a pool is owned by the dow itself then that means we're not at the whim of other people withdrawing the liquidity there will always be something there for people to trade against and therefore uh always relevant to the cosmos DeFi market and I would, uh, that was an excellent answer. My, my super simplified answer is shade bonds are essentially a treasury management tool that allows the protocol to buy and sell um, assets from the treasury directly to users. And the reason users will take the trade is because it's a better deal for them to like essentially sell their asset to the DAO than it is for them to go to a deck and, and sell the token. So it's like a really unique opportunity for users and it's a really good opportunity for, for the DAO to interact with its, with its community and its market. So, Wendy, thanks for the question. Carter, Ranger, great responses. Thank you, guys. Let's do, let's do one more quick response to the last question that we have in the chat here and then we'll call this good for our weekly Twitter space. The question is from Chris E., and the question is this doesn't the composition of the assets backing silk have to mirror the currencies the silk basket basket will consist of and isn't it hard to achieve such a huge overrepresentation 
of dollar-denominated assets with such a huge representation of dollar-denominated assets? So the answer is the answer is no when you're using the over-collateralized model. So if I if I have $150 worth of value that gets locked up, um, as long as I'm able to liquidate that collateral and pull silk out of the market and burn it whenever there's essentially a change in in demand or change in the value of that underlying asset, then it doesn't really matter what that asset is as long as there's sufficient liquidity and that as long as the volatility of that over collateralized asset is not like absurd that the smart contract can't handle it. So if we ignore the idea of like capital efficiency and you stick with the over collateralized model, we don't need to have that underlying collateral match silks basket. The matching of the silk basket comes into play when we're talking about non leverage can I deposit a dollar worth of the euro or USDC in order to mint out a dollar worth of silk? When you enter into that paradigm, that is when the, the matching becomes super important because there's, you, you can't afford for some sort of gap to exist between assets sitting in a redemption pool and the silk that was minted out from those redemption pools. And the way you handle removing that gap collectively is by having like a perfect mapping of that redemption pool to silks basket. So hopefully that's a sufficient answer. And if, and I can, I can expand, I really probably need to make a little video series. I haven't done one of them for a while to kind of walk through some of these, these problems. And they're, they're very intriguing problems. Thanks Carter. Great response. All right, everybody, that is an hour and we'll call it there for our weekly Twitter space. Thanks to Carter adults, Ranger, um, everybody for, tuning in and giving responses. Thanks to everybody that answered or asked questions as well. We appreciate all the community involvement and we appreciate you guys hopping on to listen here. With that being said, have a great rest of your day, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Bye everyone. Thanks for checking out another episode of the ether. That was the shade protocol redemption tools space recorded on Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Sneaking through back alleys on a little cosplay. Broadway all day, looking like the wrong way. Resuscitating major players in the waiting room. Sifting through the paperwork while I be debating fools. Breaking rules, breaking bad, like we always wait for doom. Slayed a few in my early years, often in the shroom. Sitting in the dark, waiting for the daily news to let us know what we should believe as the latest truth. Stay aloof, writing rhymes in the studio. Trying to keep it well lit like filming a movie role. Sorting through support from your endorsements. Of course, we're tripping balls hand. And it reports it The latest proof ain't a way to move Change the view Just a bunch of pack of heads Living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner Finger licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute Then show me what that thinker do Two plus two Show me what that thinker do Two plus two Show me what that thinker do Two plus two Show me what that thinker do Two plus two Big thinking energy always gets the best of me When I kick it in the lab, messing with new recipes Gotta mix and match, flip the latch, letting rhythm scratch Dope shit, spitting facts with my vision smashed Big trip aristocrats, dishing out a list of trash Missing wisdom, this fish is too big to catch Better let the missus know where you hit the stash Watch your next step, bro, before you hit the traps Walking on eggshells, tripping over landmines And I'm about done dealing with these damn lies Man, I'm looking at this planet like a franchise Chastised into digging holes in the back nine the latest proof ain't a way to move Change the view Just a bunch of pecker heads Living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner finger Licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute Then show me what that thinker do Two plus two Show me what that thinker do Two plus two Show me what that thinker do Two plus two Show me what that thinker do Two plus two Spaces.